Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome everyone to episode 82 of True Blue Crime. My name's Sean and with me as always is my co-host Chloe. How you doing? Hi, not bad. How are you? Yeah, good. We've kind of <laughs> talked off air before for nearly an hour now just about a... <laughs> true, true. We haven't really set ourselves up for success here. We'll give it a go. <laughs> no, and I look, I've got one uh, quick confession too. I actually said um, last week that it was episode, well, last episode that it was 82. It was actually 81. Oh. Uh, so we're, we're 82 today. It's the first time in 80-odd <laughs> <80 old> episodes. <laughs> got a number wrong there, so... Um, Oh, we've got some Patreon shout-outs for this week. Yes, we do. Thank you so much and welcome to Evan, Amber, Kimono, Luke, Paddy, Shawnee, Ania, Elsie, Joanne, T, Hannah, Mary, Isabel, Rachie, Tyler, Michael, Rochelle, Beck, Jake, Sharon, Jess, Janelle, Neil, Alana, Ewan, Jenny, and Anne. Thanks for the support, everyone. Much appreciated. And thanks to all of you who've been supporting us on Patreon for some time now. The case we are talking about today contains graphic descriptions, sexual assault, and discussion of surrogacy that may be upsetting. Please look after yourself and exercise self-care when listening to this episode. When I was younger, he didn't really have a lot to do with me. It was mainly when I got older, and from what I understand with that, is because I was starting to bring girls home. It was sort of hard knowing that I was too small to do anything, and you could see what was happening, but you couldn't do anything about it. He's pretty violent. He always has been. And he's even worse when he drinks. The first time the police come and see me, I knew that there would have been some involvement of his. I knew right from the start. Amber Haig was born on November the 18th, 1982, to her mum Rosalind and dad Jeff. Her relationship with her mum was up and down. There were periods where they weren't in one another's lives that much, and her father Jeff was either out drinking 24-7 or in jail early in Amber's life. Amber had a sister named Melissa, and they got along very well, but otherwise it wasn't a particularly stable start for Amber. 
She spent some time bouncing around within the foster and kinship system. Despite these turbulences, which we see in many families every day, her mum Roz and sister Melissa cared for Amber greatly. Amber was described by her friends as quiet, caring, good-hearted and generous with a cheeky smile. She was also loyal and very trusting of people. There are many outdated reports which note some of Amber's struggles. The most appropriate term nowadays would be to say that she lived with an intellectual disability. She could get by day to day, but she was vulnerable and easily led. Some of these same reports noted Amber had a learning disability and that she had been diagnosed with epilepsy too. When Amber was 14, she moved to a place called Kingsvale, a village on the fringes of the Harden Shire, which is inland southwest of Sydney towards Wagga Wagga, sandwiched between the big country town of Young and Harden. Young is the cherry capital of Australia, a relatively large country town with around seven to 8,000 residents. Harden was described by Eamon Duff in a Fairfax article he wrote as a town surrounded by wheat fields, dappled with scarecrows, where the shops are boarded up, the main street deserted at midday and the banks gone. Kingsvale is a little place somewhere in the middle of Harden and Young and it attracts a lot of students, backpackers and other transients at the harvest time late in the year. Here Amber lived with her great-aunt Stella and got a job cherry-picking and she was quite content here for some time with Stella. She met a young man named Robbie Jeeves Jr. at some point. They got along well until Amber moved away to Mount Isa. Robbie and Amber spoke on the phone regularly but fell out of touch as time went on. But then one day, all of a sudden, Amber was back in Kingsvale and moved into Robbie's house, which was a surprise to him. Amber was 18 at this time in 2001. Robbie asked his mum, Anne, why Amber was there. Was she boarding with them now or something? Anne said words to the effect of, you know what your father's like. Robert Jeeves Sr. and Anne Jeeves had recently had a baby named Emma, but sadly, she died at birth. Amber, after moving in, went on to fall pregnant and on January the 21st, 2002, gave birth to baby Royce at the Young Hospital. DNA tests confirmed the father was Robert Jeeves, Robbie's dad, who was 42 years of age. Amber's family were said to have become quite concerned for her welfare in the time after this. They reported Amber had alleged being tied up by the Jeeves, assaulted and even videotaped by them. Some even said they'd observed marks on Amber's arms and legs where she'd been restrained. Amber seemed anxious and uneasy on the phone with her family in the time after baby Royce's birth. She was quite anxious before his birth too. Amber had written a will with a social worker and asked her aunt Trish to care for Royce should something happen to her during childbirth. Interestingly, she noted concerns that Robert Jeeves might try and take custody of Royce if Amber wasn't around. In the time after this, Amber moved out of the Jeeves farmhouse into a flat in Young on her own. She was making a go of it by herself with little Royce, but it wasn't easy. In 2002, Amber reported to social workers that Robert Jeeves had stolen a bassinet from the home. It was unclear if police were notified of this, but the social workers did intervene and help replace the bassinet and change the locks. The waters were muddied by reports that the Jeeves family were financially supporting Amber in some fashion. Robert paid the bond for her flat and reportedly stayed overnight on occasion, presumably, at least on the face of it, to help with the baby, so this might have complicated things. I think Robert even made a report against one of the social workers at some point too for what he saw as overstepping 
that may have caused some internal politics and caused them to back off the case a bit. According to Robert and Anne Jeeves, on the 5th of June 2002, they drove Amber to Campbelltown Railway Station, which was some three hours away from the Harden Kingsvale area. The Jeeves said Amber was planning to catch the train to Mount Druitt to see her old man, Jeff. He was ill in the hospital there. They dropped her off around 8.30pm and Amber apparently left baby Royce, who was around six months old at the time, with the Jeeves. No one has seen or heard from Amber Haig again since. Fifteen minutes later, at quarter to nine, Amber's bank account was accessed, a withdrawal made by someone at an ATM somewhere around the Campbelltown train station. CCTV was looped over by the time it could be viewed by police, leaving them unable to determine if this was Amber or someone else who used her keycard. But if they dropped her off, the Jeeves reportedly didn't have plans to pick her back up. Yet Amber had apparently made open-ended and extended plans with them to be away for some time. The Jeeves had baby Royce for two weeks before reporting Amber missing. Police commenced an investigation into her disappearance and started at the obvious point with Robert and Anne Jeeves. But with their story and the reports of sightings of Amber, it took some time for police to decipher the truth. Strike Force Villama was formed and headed up by Detective Sergeant Gay Cree. They had a difficult task ahead. One of the first questions police and many people close to the case asked was why did Amber willingly hand over Royce to the Jeeves? and didn't take him to meet her dad. The visiting hours also came into question, as they were probably over or close to it by the time she actually caught the train, if she caught the train. And it was also strange to police that the Jeeves had driven Amber three hours just to drop her half an hour short of Mount Druid in Campbelltown at that time of night with an infant in hand. Why not take her the extra distance to the hospital? Robert and Anne Jeeves said they had no idea where Amber was or what she had planned beyond this hospital visit. Police were suspicious of this and their story. It had many holes in it. They searched their home and seized a number of items, including a pair of pants and a knife, but found no direct evidence to connect them to Amber's disappearance. They also couldn't find anything to substantiate previous allegations family members of Amber's had told police, but police found the Jeeves' movements before and after this time to be erratic and difficult to rationally explain. On the 3rd of June, two days before Amber disappeared, they stayed at the Tarmore Motor Inn. This is 30 kilometres south of Campbelltown, hours from their home, and they seemingly had no real reason to be there. On the 9th, they brought some nails and a hammer from the hardware store in Mossvale, around half an hour from the Tarmore Motor Inn, and were also reportedly sighted not long after this, driving on what an article described as a lonely road pulling a trailer along. And then on the 12th, three days later, they stayed at the Tarmore again. The Tarmore area in the Southern Highlands is known to have a number of old, disused mine shafts. It was another week before they reported Amber missing to the Harden police station. But the most disturbing thing was perhaps Robert Jeeves himself, and we heard his son Robbie talk a bit about him in the intro, but to say he had a colourful past would be an understatement. (laughs) 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Robert Jeeves had a colourful past, to say the least. Nothing's ever stuck to the Teflon-coated wheat farmer, machinist and fruit picker. He was a violent bloke, according to his son, especially when he drank. In 1986, two 13-year-old girls went missing from young. They didn't come home from school one day and two weeks later, mysteriously showed up having allegedly spent the past fortnight in an old wheat silo on Robert Jeeves' farm. One of the girls alleged that Jeeves sexually assaulted her, but the second girl's story contradicted those claims. She said that hadn't happened. Police were involved and Jeeves was charged, but the case against him collapsed. The assault and kidnapping charges dropped due to lack of evidence. Robert Jeeves received a rather minor hindering charge and a 100 hours community service. He then went on to meet a woman named Janelle Goodwin. Janelle had moved to the Harden-Kingsvale area in 1992 with her husband at the time, Stephen, They had two kids. Janelle had served in the army as a nurse and had gotten a job at a local poultry farm after they'd moved to the area. Robert Jeeves often stopped by this farm to get chicken heads, which he used as fox bait. Despite the setting, romance blossomed between Janelle and Robert Jeeves. Things between Janelle and Stephen subsequently ended, Stephen moved away, they shared the kids, and Janelle moved in with Mr Jeeves. He was also still with his wife Anne at this time too. She was living in town with their son Robbie, who was much younger at this time, he was around 10, and they tried to have more kids but miscarried a number of times. Robert even had a vasectomy, it was reported, but had it reversed after things kicked off with Janelle. Things didn't stay peachy between the two, however. They reportedly fought a lot and on the 20th of July 1993, it was a Sunday night and Robert and Janelle had been plying themselves with bourbon at home on the Jeeves family farm. According to Robert, they got into an argument. Things escalated. They began hitting and scratching one another until somehow at some stage, Janelle found herself staring down the barrel of a rifle and was shot dead at point-blank range. It was a horrible accident, according to Robert Jeeves. They'd struggled and apparently she'd pulled the trigger herself. Yet rather than call the police after it happened, he went to bed, woke up the next day and went shopping for tractor parts, beer and whatever else he needed, then he came home and relaxed. Meanwhile, he put Janelle's body in a wheelbarrow and left it out back for two days before going to the police station to report the accident. When police attended, Janelle was reportedly naked, her ankles bound to her neck, and she was wrapped in a sheet. Why had Robert Jeeves done all of this, taken all of this time, if it was a tragic accident, as he said? Well, panic, apparently. He just didn't know what to do. He was so shocked by what had happened, he needed to get some beer and think on it for a couple of days. The autopsy results were pretty clear as to how Janelle had died. The bullet entered her left nostril, travelled up through her brain and to the back of her skull. Her top lip was lacerated. 
There were bruises on her chin, thighs and forehead. She had a blood alcohol reading of 0.2 and had inhaled blood into her lungs, indicating she was still alive some time after being shot. A gold ring on Janelle's left hand was dented. This became a very contentious point following forensic testing relating to this dent on her finger. It actually matched the front sight of the rifle, so this would have made it very difficult for Janelle to click the safety off and pull the trigger on herself, as Robert Jeeves suggested. Janelle was also seven months pregnant at the time of her death. Robert Jeeves was arrested and charged with murder, but by the time police inspected his house a couple of days later, it had been well cleaned, they said. Police said Jeeves had washed his clothes from that night, dried them by the fire, he'd cleaned his rifle, there was no spent casing found anywhere, there were no fingerprints anywhere, and any blood had been hosed away. Police commented that it was close to the best clean-up job they had ever seen at the time. Charges never stuck to Robert Jeeves for this. Back at the police station, Jeeves explained that his actions after the shooting were all down to panic, and despite testing showing the dent, an improbability Janelle had pulled the trigger herself, they couldn't prove beyond reasonable doubt that Robert Jeeves had done it. Janelle's family had to deal with her loss, and Robbie Jeeves Jr. went on to stay with his aunt while his dad faced court, but the matter was discharged, meaning the case could be prosecuted in the future. And when his potential involvement in Amber's case came up, that's exactly what happened. Jeeves was tried in the New South Wales Supreme Court over Janelle's death. A confident prosecution believed the fresh ballistics advice and witness statements would win them the case, but it wasn't to be. Robert Jeeves was found not guilty, he maintains his innocence to this day, and the jury at the time agreed. It was a terrible accident. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There was an inquest into Amber's disappearance in 2011 and it went into some disturbing detail about the alleged treatment of Amber, much of which we've outlined earlier. Detective Sergeant David Cockrum, who was the officer in charge of the investigation at one stage, said police had suspicions about Amber's living arrangement with the Jeeves, with many suggestions in the media following outlining allegations of a forced surrogate type situation. Sergeant Cockrum advised that a search of the Jeeves' home in August of 2002 found a doona with traces of blood that could have come from a descendant of Amber's mother, Rosalind, who went by the surname Wright at this time. Blood was also found on patches of carpet using tracing chemical during another examination of the home in 2005. There was no way to prove this blood belonged to Amber, but again, Sergeant Cockrum said the blood could have come from a descendant of Amber's mother. Rumour-mongering plagued the inquest. 
evidence from several men known to have said things, usually while drunk, about what happened to Amber was heard before the coroner, but all dismissed it as merely drunken babble. David Williams, also known as Sheepdog, admitted he once heard rumours of Amber's body being hidden in the grapevines, but he said at the time he was drunk and stoned when he'd heard this. Williams, who used to work in an abattoir, said the conversation started as a practical joke. He denied talking on another occasion about a gangbang and torture of Amber, about her throat being cut, or that he had said in conversation that a video had been made of her being pack-raped. Williams speculated these conversations were probably coming from a co-worker of his who had heard about a reward on offer from police. Another witness, Adam Blundell, said conversations he had with friends about Amber's body being put through a farm shredding machine were a joke. He said he was employed by Robert Jeeves but had never asked his boss what happened to Amber. Coroner Scott Mitchell said to Blundell during his responses, It's not a joke. It's not funny. The coroner asked Blundell whether he believed that Amber was buried at the vineyard. Blundell said no, he didn't, but he did say that Robert Jeeves had used a blood and bone mixer and had borrowed Blundell's trailer from him on occasion. Coroner Mitchell was treated to another delightful witness after this, who he blasted for acting like a clown and a buffoon. 17-year-old Joel McCorkendale also gave evidence that a drunk man, known simply as Podge, told him slurred rumours about Amber's fate. McCorkendale told police he'd bumped into Podge in a soccer oval and the tipsy drifter said Amber had been abducted by bikies before being murdered. Parts of his statement read, They got one of the people in the car to cut her throat, one of the bikies grabbed her, cut her and put her in the freezer. Robert Jeeves paid money to kill her so he could keep the sun. McCorkendale further noted that Amber was buried under a lemon tree on the Jeeves's farm. Police had an 18-volume brief of evidence, between 8,000 and 9,000 pages, containing 100 statements and 800 separate inquiries. Coroner Mitchell queried the Jeeves' movements in Tarmore and asked them to explain a telephone conversation intercepted by police in which they discussed the excuse they could give for staying at the Tarmore Motor Inn in the Southern Highlands on July 3rd and July 12th. What are we going to say our trip to Tarmore was, Anne Jeeves asked, before later saying, I don't care if they got Tarmore anyway, because we've got an explanation for that. If they don't like it, tough. They can't stop us going places. It was also discussed during the inquest that Robert Jeeves was seeing another woman now in addition to his wife, and despite the deaths of his two former girlfriends, this woman said she would trust him with her life. The coroner asked this woman, Ursula Kirk, if it was the case that she did not know or care about what happened to Amber, and she replied yes. Coroner Mitchell then asked if she was concerned about Robert Jeeves' poor track record, to which she replied, I feel everybody has a past. In his findings, Coroner Mitchell said that although suspicion rested on Mr and Mrs Jeeves, who appeared to have intended to use the girl as a surrogate mother, he could not go beyond that. He found that Amber had most likely been murdered and that her body was possibly disposed of down an old mine shaft. Police have continued to search for Amber. The smallest piece of information may allow police to close this case. Ros and Melissa think it's possible Amber is buried on that previous property of the Jeeves. Melissa said in a 60 Minutes interview that she thinks about Amber every day. I miss and love her so much. She will be in my heart forever. I was a cheeky kid, but Amber would always say, Melissa, 
I love you no matter what. Royce grew up with Amber's family. There's a $100,000 reward still in place for information leading to the solving of Amber's case. At the time of her disappearance, Amber was described as being 160 centimetres tall, thin built, with brown shoulder length hair and green hazel eyes. She was last seen wearing a green jumper, dark tracksuit pants and joggers. She was also carrying a bag with clothes in it. Anyone who has any information in relation to Amber is urged to contact Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000 or you can report online anonymously if you wish. That's it on that case and it's such a sad one and, you know, Sean, you've spoken about it a few times and we've kind of had this in the pipeline from as um, far back as last year when we went on the Today Show and you've spoken to some quite a few people about it but it seems like so many things are out in the open, you know, just under the surface here um, and I'm sure it's so frustrating for Amber's family and her friends and everyone involved. I, as in with any missing persons case or unsolved case, I feel so bad for the family. I, I don't have much other thoughts than you than on this than that. How about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, the obvious things. It is one that I've known about for a long time and, as you said, we, we mentioned it uh, on the telly and I uh, spoke about um, this with, with Emily Webb on Australian True Crime. It's a, it's a really sad case of someone who was seemingly quite vulnerable and was taken advantage of. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's really difficult to believe that there is just not someone, you know, with some of these uh, smart asses who are talking at the uh, at the inquest. It's it's a bit difficult to believe that there's not someone uh, in that small community uh, who doesn't know something else. Um, and very mm. sad for for her family. Uh, n- not just that, you know, Janelle <coughs> Janelle Goodwin's family as well. I mean, her her ex husband and and she's got um, kids. Yeah, you know, I really feel for them. And and again, I think there's a lot more information than. Uh, than than we have accessible, you know that uh, that probably surrounds that and their relationship and the way things went down at that time. So, yes, Mister yeah. Mister Jeeves is a, is an interesting man to say the least, and that's probably the nicest way you can say it. So let's um, you know, fingers crossed, there is some more information that that comes out about this, and we can see a resolution in the future. Yeah, let's hope. Um, let's go on to our happy thoughts. Um, do you want me to go first? Yeah, go first, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have two-parter kind of. One is that I just want to resolve the fact and let everyone know that I finished watching Buffy and Angel. I feel we're well, re-watching it with my husband, <clears throat> which I feel like is a real achievement because there's a hell of a lot of episodes. I reckon it's taken us maybe three or four months. So it's done, guys. It was just as good slash didn't age as well as I had expected and I loved every second of it. Um, and my But my real happy thought is that I did a virtual escape room on the weekend and before everyone switches off now, give me a second, it was way funner than I expected. Um, I felt real smart for about an hour because <clears throat> you solved all these puzzles and, you know, used links and looked through fake emails and stuff. Um and if anyone is not really leaving the house at the moment, I highly recommend it because I'm talking about it like three days later. So it must have been good. <laughs> What's your happy thought? You know, I was, 
we were talking before we we came on about how um this is starting off quite sad, but bear with me. We were talking about how yeah. we'd had to say goodbye to one of our our two little dogs um recently. Yeah, um, which is you know sad. He he was a little bit old and he'd had some some health problems. So I mean that in itself was quite sad. But the happy part of it was. He had some little issues and he was quite a destructive little fella, so we were unable to sort of have him in the house with, you know, the kids and he wasn't very good with the kids, so stuff like that. Yeah. But our other little dog, she's great, and so now she's been the silver lining is and the happy part of this is that she's sort of got a new lease on life and the kids are really enjoying having her around, so she's sort of allowed to come in and uh, our, yeah. our, um, our, our middle girl in particular, she, you know, hasn't been exposed to her much, so she's really psyched to sort of have a little pet what for what feels like the first time. So it's been yeah. nice for her, um, for the little girl dog and for, our, and for our girls to have her around. So that's my happy thought. That's cool. It's good that she's getting to know her and um, rest in peace to the other little doggo. Yeah. We've just finished up episode number three of our Urban Legend series over on Patreon too. So that's out now for anyone who wants to go across and check that out. We were talking about the Westall UFO and Federici's ghost. So uh, very enjoyable. We really liked doing that series and hopefully uh, everyone else enjoys it too. We will be back early next week with a brief announcement episode, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Until then, thanks for listening and we'll catch you all again soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.